So it's time to set up L&D. You might be the person who's been hired to do it, or you'd like to be. You might have moved internally into the role. You might be the owner or the leader of the business thinking that this is the solution to the challenges you're facing right now, or a really good way to prepare for the future. Whoever you are, you're in charge of making it happen, and I want to help. I'm on a mission to seed a million thriving learning functions because I believe everyone deserves the opportunity to grow, no matter where they work, and the organisation benefits as well. I've had the privilege of setting up the learning and development function from scratch at a tech startup turned ASX listed company, and I'm in the process of doing it again right now. I am doing a few things differently this time around, and in the spirit of learning, I want to share those learnings with you. Stuff that worked, stuff that did not work, and interviews with some very clever, passionate people about the stuff that I don't know yet. Welcome to Starting Up L&D, your guide to kicking off a learning and development function from scratch. Like I said in the intro, I believe everyone deserves the opportunity to flourish, and when they do, the places that they work flourish as well. You'll get to know me over the course of these first few episodes. For now, let's go with the fact that I've been there before, setting up a learning and development in growing business with zero momentum, limited experience, and a shoestring budget. I learned a lot during the process, learnings that I'm applying as I do this a second time around. These first few episodes are going to be just me talking pretty honestly about my own experiences, plus some relevant research and information that you can use. We'll start with foundational stuff, like why L&D is not the fluffy and expensive part of HR. When we dig into what people think learning and development does versus what we really do, you'll be able to manage those expectations and get things done. Fighting for your life. When you're a new function, the pressure is on to get wins on the board quickly. Use that to make your plans and make an impact early on. And putting cookies in the jar. When you're L&D, everybody wants something from you. Let's talk about building connections and managing expectations so you can deliver on your priorities while also keeping some friends. All right, so we've done the icebreaker. Any good facilitator around about now will start setting expectations for what people will take away from the experience. So here's my list of what to expect. Real life stories. I'm going to share what I've learned, what did and did not work, so that you can get a head start based on where I've already been. Evidence-based opinions and research where I can get it. We're learning more and more about the impact of L&D, and that kind of stuff is really good to share. It's also very handy to have when you're trying to make your own case. Did someone say ammunition? (laughs) You can expect people much smarter than me, talking about stuff that they're the experts in that I am not. Someone once said, as a facilitator, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You just have to ask the right questions of the person who is. So if I don't know what I'm talking about, I'll find someone who does. You might not recognize the names of some of the places where these people work. I'm not really going for global brand names. You know, their learning and development functions are usually giant machines that are quite well established. Of course, I'm very happy to talk to people from those places. What I'm really focused on, though, is that first-time spark of the function coming to life and the challenges and opportunities that come along with that. And that usually happens in the startups and the smaller businesses. Talking about people coming onto the show, if you have got something related to setting up L&D that you know really well and want to talk about, please connect with me on LinkedIn. I've run internal podcasts and interviews before, and all of my guests have told me that I do make it really easy to talk about the stuff that they know. And lastly, if you haven't picked up on it already, 
you can expect a fair amount of jokes, analogies, and a side order of sass. I do get really excited about this stuff, and I know that it can feel overwhelming as a mission. I want you to feel like I'm right here beside you on this adventure as your kind of combined mentor slash comic relief. Let's get into it. Where do learning and development functions come from? It's pretty rare that a business will just spontaneously decide that it is time for L&D. You know, there's not like a little dashboard light that pops on to tell you your company has done X hundred kilometers and now you're due. Also, based on my experience of startup life, even if there was a little light, it'd probably get lost amidst all of the other flashing lights on that dashboard. So why would an organization choose now to get started? You know, what makes them invest money and time into learning and development? And also, why do you care? Well, there are some businesses out there that have that proactive mindset and they see this as the normal part of maintaining the organization. Mostly, though, the nudge comes because there's immediate fire to put out. You know, things get to a point where there's a clear problem. L&D looks like a good way to solve it. When you know what that problem is, your life gets a lot easier. You can use it to define success. You can prove that you're making an impact quickly. You'll understand the business's priorities and you'll be able to get buy-in for your efforts. And lastly, if you're the one that's applying for the job to do all of this, you can make an informed decision to opt in or out if it's not what you're interested in. Let's talk a little bit about what those most common reasons are. We'll set aside those unicorn proactive organizations. There are a couple of business situations that most commonly trigger the creation of the learning and development function. The main ones relate to either a performancey or a people-y problem. Yes, people-y is a word now. All right, so jump into performance first of all. However your organization makes money, it relies on everyone doing the things that they need to do in effective ways. If people don't have the knowledge or the skills to do their job effectively, that's when the problems start. And when they get serious enough, the L&D bat phone starts ringing or they decide it's time to install one. Sales is a big one of these, mainly because sales is how money gets into the organization. When the sales team does well, the business makes more money. And look, I'm not the CFO, but uh, I feel like we want as much money coming in as possible. So that sounds pretty simple. If you've ever worked in sales, I know that that is a complicated process. As a salesperson, you have to know exactly what you're talking about. You have to follow a consistent process. and You have to have really good people skills, as well as a little bit of emotional resilience. Let's dig into that with some official names for what those things look like. Product knowledge is a big one. It doesn't matter if it's a product or a service or something that kind of defies categories. When you're a salesperson, you have to be able to have a sensible conversation with a prospective customer about the thing that you're offering them. You've got to understand what it does or how it works so that you can help them decide if this is what they need. You need to be able to explain why it's important or cool or valuable or whatever your unique selling proposition is so that they will get excited about it too. You have to be able to tell stories about how other customers have used the thing and solved their problems to great success so that they can see themselves doing that same thing and being the hero of their own story. You also need to know what it does not do so that when you're making promises, you're making ones that the rest of the business can keep. Otherwise, it gets very awkward. And lastly, 
you need to be confident and quick at doing all of that so that you can do it on the phone, by email, in an elevator or on a plane. As well as good knowledge of the product, salespeople also need to know how your company's sales process works. Everyone needs to know what happens before, during and after they interact with a prospective customer. This helps to reduce gaps and doubling up the efforts and it keeps the whole pipeline flowing smoothly. And when you know that flow, the language, the vibe, you can be more efficient and more consistent in your efforts. This is a better experience for prospective customers because they get that consistent experience. It's also better for your business because everyone's following the same best practices that you've already learned and not making their own mistakes. If you've got a lot of new people starting, for example, if you're rapidly upscaling, the faster that you can get your people doing these things effectively, the happier everyone's going to be. Salespeople will be making commission faster, customers won't feel like they're talking to the work experience kid, and businesses will be selling more of whatever the awesome thing it is that they make. Storytime break. Product knowledge and sales processes were actually the main nudges for my company to take the plunge. They were blocking our ability to get more customers as rapidly as we needed to. For context, we made a piece of HR software that is very clever, very customizable, and takes care of a lot of the fiddly bits that come with managing a bunch of people. As a business, we were going through this stage of really rapid growth. You know, we went from a team of three salespeople just in Brisbane to three teams of four spaced all around the world. Because our product was so versatile, it was this really big, complicated thing to learn how to talk about. We had like eight main problems that customers could solve using the system, and each customer usually wanted to use it to solve two or three of those problems, which is a lot of combinations. So for example, we had one customer that wanted to streamline the way that they onboarded new people, managed performance issues, and stored confidential files, while another customer had compliance requirements to keep track of 700 working with children police checks, while also managing professional development goals and running engagement surveys very different conversations and both very complicated ones to have as a new salesperson. To make things even more confusing, different customers were using the same features in slightly different ways to solve the same problems. Hey! <laughs> this meant that it usually took a solid six months to get someone up to speed to the point where they could have a sensible conversation with their prospects. When we had a team of three, that was fine. Rapid growth meant that we quickly ended up with new people training new people. When you're taking photocopies of a photocopy, you lose resolution pretty quick. This analogy may not mean much to listeners out there that don't deal with photocopiers, but if it does, you might also remember this 90s movie with Michael Keaton where he clones himself to get out of work and things go sideways pretty fast. Coming back to the conversation, we also hadn't really documented our sales process that well. When there are three people that have been there since the beginning, there's this kind of unspoken understanding of how everything works. You know, we all sit next to each other. We talk about it constantly. So the dance was very seamless. As soon as you start throwing in a bunch of new people in different time zones and everyone working from home, it gets messy. In a nutshell, the big burning problem to solve was how do we get a group of new people up to speed with a lot of product knowledge and the customer sales journey so that they can start closing deals quickly. The good news is that a problem like this is pretty well defined. And if you can solve it, 
there's going to be some clear numbers that you can point to to say, this worked, which I'm happy to say I was mostly able to do. We'll get more into being able to prove that impact that you're having in a later episode. But the point here is that knowing exactly what the problem is and fixing it will look like is a step to making an impact. Before we move into the people problems that often trigger companies to think about an L&D function, let's talk a little bit about a different skills gap that often impacts performance, and that is leadership. Especially if you've got a small business that's getting larger, leadership capabilities can be a really big limiter to that scaling. Here's a really common situation. You've got a bunch of people that have been there since the start. They know everything. They're used to wearing a lot of And as you get bigger, you hire people to do specific roles and you have them report to the ones who were there from the beginning. Problem is that you now have a bunch of managers that haven't ever been taught how to lead teams. They might be great leaders. They might not. It's a common habit of organizations to promote the person who's best at doing the thing to be in charge of a group of people doing the same thing. The problem is that the skill set of doing and managing is quite different. So it's a whole new set of skills that they might not be naturally strong at. I mean, few of us are, if we're being honest. On top of that, in this kind of situation, there's not a consistent way of leading in the business. Because nobody ever talked about how we do leadership around here or set expectations, it ends up being up to each manager to work out their own style. Leadership training is important. You know, if you can only do one thing to lift the business, Focus on lifting the bench strength of your leaders. If you can get them leading and managing their teams effectively, everything else that you need to do is easier. You want to improve workplace engagement? The two biggest things that you can do are giving people what they need to do well and making sure that they feel safe and happy. Guess who has the biggest impact on those two things? Yeah, their direct manager. There's a great article in the McKinsey Quarterly. I'll put the link in the show notes. Mental health and well-being. For about 70% of people, their relationship with their manager has the same level of impact as their partner has on their mental health. This study was done by UKG. Also, links coming your way. You need to implement a big change. ProSight, experts in change management, they've been saying for years that a person's direct manager is the most important person that an employee will interact with during the change process. They help them to understand why the change is happening, how their part's involved in it, And they help to reinforce the change so that it doesn't slip back. Think of leadership kind of like the brackets outside of an equation. You know, instant multiplication of that impact. That's why leadership training is sexy and lucrative. And the training industry, they know this. A couple of numbers to share with you. The corporate leadership development program market was estimated at about 61 billion US dollars in 2022. It's expected to grow to about $179 billion in the next 10 years. Companies are willing to invest big money in this area to develop the skills. Why? Well, because it's important. Also, people do love leadership training. You know, if you think about it, leadership is so highly regarded in business literature and in Hollywood movies. Most people assume that leadership is the only way to progress their career because that's all we ever get taught. First, you do the thing then you're in charge of people doing the thing. That's how you get more status and more money. It is often how it works, but it's definitely not the only way to grow. And I think that we need to talk about that more, but not today. 
So we want leadership skills. Maybe your company doesn't have the cash to sign people up for a semester of external classes, but they can pay for one person to be in charge of it internally, which is where L&D comes in and why so many of the job ads out there include reference to leadership development. This is actually one of the big things that I've inherited in my new setting up L&D role. The company started small, they had some rapid growth, they just never had the capacity to teach those promoted people what effective leadership looks like. They rolled out a program to develop leadership with a full set of capabilities defining what leadership looks like in the business, but they were having a bit of a tough time running the program without a dedicated resource. And look, this is no shade from me. You know, the people in Colter team are awesome, and this is not the only thing on their plates. So they were really excited to have someone come on board to give it the love that it deserves and to build on those firm foundations. There are a heap of other things going on around here, and I love to help out wherever I can. I know, though, that the most helpful thing that I can do is to support these leaders to be confident, skilled, and consistent in supporting their team. So that's where most of my time's going at the moment. Let's start talking about the people-y stuff. Solving a performance problem is one of the most common reasons to get an L&D function up and running. Next, I'd like to look at something else, a people perspective. Maybe there's not a specific part of the business that has a performance challenge. Maybe it's more about the overall workforce and how you need to attract or keep talent. Having a dedicated L&D function is a great way of attracting talent. The LinkedIn Learning Report for 2023 says that three of the top five things people consider when looking at a new job actually relate to learning and development. For reference, the top things are challenging and impactful work, opportunities for internal career growth, opportunities to learn and develop new skills. And then the other ones were compensation and flexible work. When you look at the under 35s, career growth and new skills were actually the top two factors. A lot of organizations are in a place right now where they can't do much about remuneration or flexibility for reasons that we're not going to jump into. If they still want to attract quality employees, though, this is how they can stand out. L&D is also a great way to help you retain talent. There's a lot of buzzwords, a lot of big trends floating around right now. You know, great resignation, quiet quitting, skill shortages. It all comes down to the fact that there was a big thing that happened and it challenged our old ways of doing things and thinking. And as a result, we're all still reassessing our lives and what's important to us. For many of us, that also means reassessing where we work. So if you want your people to stick around, having a plan to help them grow will be very helpful. Some numbers to back that up. 76% of employees said that they'd be more likely to stay with a company that offers continuous training. This was a survey done by the Society for Human Resources Management. And look, it was in 2022, and a few things have changed since then. It still makes sense. You know, we like to feel that we're growing and progressing. And if this happens at work, those good feelings that we get from it tend to influence the way that we feel about work as well. Also, it sends a really positive message to people. If I see that my company is developing me and investing in my capabilities, I think I can assume that they plan to keep me around. Maybe they even like having me here. Who knows? Those sorts of feelings and thoughts are really powerful. You know, sometimes they make it so appealing to work here that I might even stay even if I could get a financial raise by going somewhere else. 
I know investing in people feels like a risk. It's about flipping that mindset though. There are two quotes by a couple of big business names, a hundred years apart, that'll help you if you need to make a case. Richard Branson of Virgin fame was saying in the mid 2010s, train people well enough so they can leave, treat them well enough so that they don't want to. Henry Ford was on to it a hundred years earlier in the mid 1910s. He said, the only thing worse than training your employees and having them leave is not training them and having them stay. It depends on who you're trying to convince. Branson's one is a little bit more modern and people-oriented, but I also really like that heavy hit that Ford has. He acknowledges that investing in training is a risk either way, so you may as well pick the one that's got better rewards for the business, right? These are some common reasons why an organisation might decide that it's time to set up that official learning and development function. It's not an exhaustive list. It's just some of the main ones that I've come across personally and when I've been talking to other businesses about setting up their L&D functions for the first time. There will always be those awesome proactive businesses that aren't trying to put out fires, usually because there's a really forward-thinking leader championing the way. Not often, but sometimes. Let's talk about you now and why you care about the reason behind the opportunity. If you listen to this podcast, odds are that you're one of these types of people. The person that's been given the mission to set things up, This might be because you applied for the job externally or because you moved internally now that things are official. Both times for me so far, it's been an internal move, but I've tried to treat it the same as if I'd applied for a totally new job. Once you've got the job to set things up, it's a really good idea to know what the reason is so that you can focus on fixing the problem. And I know that that sounds very simple, but when you're setting up the L&D function, you're fighting for your life. Actually, you're fighting for two lives. You're fighting for your own professionally, and you're also trying to prove that the business is ready for that intentional commitment to growing its people. I know this story very well because my first role was actually just a three-month temporary secondment. The board had approved the investment to solve the immediate problems, and I was stepping away from a role that was a direct income generator for the business. So it was a big risk in a lot of different ways. But problem that we needed to solve were much bigger. If we couldn't get our sales teams up to speed on the product and the process, we weren't going to hit the budgets that we needed to support our expansion. So it was a proper Henry Ford vibe. You know, what if we invest and it doesn't work? Well, what will definitely happen if we don't invest? It was a bit scary. I finally had this shot at my dream job and I had three months to make an impact. On the upside, it did mean that I could be laser focused. Because it was a directive from the board and the CEO, I had full permission to focus on that problem to the exclusion of others. Everybody wants something from L&D and we're super nice people, so we love to say yes. But if you have a clear project to work on, one that has a direct impact on the business, it's much easier to say no, or at least to say not yet. It's not always about those lofty, let's make the world a better place, learning for all moments. Sometimes, a lot of the time, L&D in smaller organizations is about solving problems and putting out fires. I'll save the story of what happened next for when we're getting into talking about fighting for your life. For now, though, the point is that when you know what is important to the business, you can work backwards from there to build a clear plan for success. 
This will also help you look amazing as well as feeling impactful. Another type of person that might be listening to this is the person who doesn't have the job yet. If you're looking at roles, there are some clues to show you when it's this kind of situation. You want to keep an eye out for the phrases newly established and make this role your own. During the interview process, this is your chance to find out what the reason is. You need to know what the most important problem is that they're expecting you to fix because you're about to become the person in charge of doing that. You know yourself as well, so you're actually the best person to decide if you can or if you want to deal with that problem. So for example, if it's increasing leadership bench strengths and you've got great experience in that, then this is something that you can feel really confident taking on. If the problem is sales processes and this is something that you struggle with or you've never really dealt with before, knowing that that's the main priority lets you make an informed decision about whether this is the beast that you want to tackle. Approach the interviews with the goal of finding this out also makes you look real good. It shows that you're results-oriented. It lets you highlight relevant experience that you know they're interested in. Now, I'm not suggesting that you roll into the room and ask the interviewer, so where's the fire? That might be a little bit too blunt. Something like, why now? is a very harmless sounding question that gives you a lot of insight. If you want some bonus points, I would suggest doing your research on the company and having your own guess ready. As an example, if you see that the place that you're interviewing for has recently had a big funding investment, it can be a clue that they're about to scale up in terms of employees and probably need some sort of consistent onboarding process to get new people up to speed fast. It might be product, it might be sales, it might be something else like trying to attract the best talent they can get. Talking about the fact that you've seen the news shows that you've done your research and you can put two and two together. It's all about making you look amazing. All right, my last group of people, I'm not expecting there to be many of you, but there are those proactive unicorns, the ones that want to get things happening. And you're trying to work out whether it's time or you know that it's time and you're trying to get the go ahead from someone else. Firstly, I really hope that this is giving you some validation. If you're seeing any of these problems or the beginning of them, you know what the solution is. And now you've got some research to back yourself up when making the case. P.S. We're only at episode one. So if you can get the go ahead to start up L&D, now is the perfect time to subscribe so you can get updates from me as I work you through the next steps. And that's a not so subtle plug to start wrapping up episode one. Thank you for spending your valuable time with me. I really hope that you got something useful out of this, or at least enjoyed some of my stories. I am deadly serious about my mission to seed those million effective L&D functions. So if I can ask you to do two small things, if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with someone that you care about, that you think would get value from it. If you hated it, please share with people that you don't care about, although I guess that might be a bit weird. Secondly, please click the follow button on whatever app you're using. Something that I've learned about myself this year is that obligations to other people is the best way for me to get things done. So if I see a number of people expecting the next episode, that's going to be really helpful in kicking my butt into gear. Next time, we're going to be talking about how everyone thinks that L&D is fluffy and expensive and the fact that they are dead wrong.